Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician Dr. Robert Jackson, his wife Carlotta, and their daughter Hannah Miller, this program will help you understand that human beings are more than just physiology, that for people there's more than just diagnosis and treatment, and that in life there's more than just medicine for a cure. This is More Than Medicine, and the doctor is in. You are listening to More Than Medicine. I am your host, Dr. Robert Jackson. I'm accompanied by my lovely bride, Mrs. Carlotta. Our topic today is what is really behind the civil unrest in America. As most of you realize, there's been a great deal of civil unrest in our streets in the last several months. And lots of us are wondering what exactly is going on in our nation. What's going on in our streets? So we'd like to evaluate some of that for you today. Miss Carlotta has a few questions that she would like to ask me, and I'm trying, we'll try to answer those questions for you in the next 25 minutes. Yes, the first question is, why are governors and mayors approving protests in their cities after demanding complete lockdowns for months for the COVID virus? Well, let me validate the assertion that mayors and governors are approving the protest in their cities after demanding complete lockdowns. Let's, let's talk about some examples first. For example, the mayor of Nashville, his name is John Cooper, he issued a, a statement saying, I urge all of you to join me from 3 to 5 p.m. today at Legislative Plaza for the I Will Breathe rally, which has been organized by a number of leaders and advocate organizations in Nashville's black community. This is an especially critical time for all of us as Metro's leaders to show up and listen to black voices from across Davidson County as they speak out against the senseless killing of George Floyd and the deep-seated issues of racial injustice in our country. Now, this mayor issued this call for folks to gather publicly in the streets after he had issued a complete lockdown in Nashville for several months, and that lockdown had wreaked havoc on his city and crushed the local economy. Now, this call, not just from John Cooper in Nashville, but in other major cities around the nation, occurred after many Americans who called for an end to the lockdowns spent weeks being demonized, and some of them were even arrested. And he was not the only person that was calling for folks to come out into the streets despite the demand for social distancing and wearing face masks and lockdowns that were prominent for many months in advance. There was a great deal of damage to the inner city. Billions of dollars in damage had been measured. Supposedly, all the carnage and the outrage was triggered by the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis 
and the alleged systemic racism it revealed. But it's obvious to me that there's much more going on behind the scenes than meets the eye. Until literally the day before the riots, establishment media personalities and politicians were scolding and threatening Americans with arrest for just being in public, equating going outside for non-essential reasons with murder. But suddenly, every one of them was fine with going out and rioting. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy had this to say, I can't imagine what it would look like if we said to people, actually, you have to stay in. You have to ignore systemic racism. I'm sorry, just ignore it. Stay inside. Well, this was the exact opposite of what these mayors had been saying for so long. Highlighting the fact that the riots were not about justice for George Floyd is the fact that the police officer who killed Floyd, his name was Derek Chauvin, was arrested and charged with murder shortly after the killing became national news. Clearly, something is amiss. This chaos is obviously not about equality or police brutality or racial justice or black lives or reparations for slavery or anything of the sort. Now listen to me. If the unrest were about those issues, the rioters might have been concerned about Officer David Dorn, the black former police officer who was murdered by looters while protecting his community. Or they might speak out about the thousands of black lives snuffed out daily by abortion. They might also be concerned about the data published by Heather McDonald in the Wall Street Journal showing that over 7,000 black men died at the hands of other black men in 2019 compared to nine unarmed black men who died at the hands of police. Indeed, the data show a police officer is 18 times more likely to be killed by a black male than an unarmed black man is to be killed by a police officer. Studies have also revealed that police are more likely to shoot white suspects than black suspects. So you're saying that the riots are really not about justice for George Floyd. So what's really going on? Well, my suspicion, and I'm not the only one saying this, is that there is a leftist. And when I say leftist, please understand that I'm saying Marxist. There is a leftist slash Marxist organized onslaught against traditional American values going on in America. And when I say that, I'm saying that there is an attack against our American heritage, against the Constitution, and against Judeo-Christian values in our country. And this is an organized attack against those things. There's a phrase that the leftist, red Marxist, have used for many years, which says the issue is never the issue. The issue is always the revolution. 
You see, Marxists are interested in revolution. You'll hear this phrase used over and over by the leftists, transformation. That's a pseudonym for revolution. And they want structural change, which is also a euphemism for revolution. And you will hear them use the words transformation and structural change. And when they use those words, those are euphemisms for revolution. And the issue is never the issue. The issue is not racism in America. The issue is not police brutality. The Marxists are after revolution. And the revolution that they want is the complete dismantling of the American Constitution, our American heritage, and our Judeo-Christian way of life. The revolutionists and their backers, such as billionaire globalist George Soros and the Rockefeller dynasty, and I'll validate that for you in a moment, are attempting to undermine civilization, limited government, the rule of law, Christianity, traditional morality, free markets, and individual liberty by equating all of these things to white supremacy and structural racism. Of course, the idea that those concepts are inherent only to white people rather than civilized people everywhere is self-evidently ridiculous and potentially racist itself. Yet anyone and everyone who might dare to defend any of those bedrock principles of American society, including the founding ideals such as all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with God-given rights, are by definition racist defenders of white supremacy who must be destroyed according to their narratives. Now, let me give you an example of this just so folks won't think that I'm just making things up or blowing smoke. Obama's green jobs czar, his name was Van Jones, he was ousted after being exposed as an actual communist revolutionary. He went so far as to indict all white people recently in his role as a CNN commentator. Now, this is his comment. Even the most well-intentioned white person has a virus in his or her her brain. This was a statement by Obama's failed czar turned commentator on CNN. And he added that a white liberal Hillary Clinton supporter is more to be feared than a member of the KKK. Jones did not explain how the supposedly racist American people became the first nation with a European descent majority to elect a president of African descent. Nor did he address the fact that America was the first nation in human history founded on the premise that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with God-given rights, which helped to make America one of the least racist societies in all of human history. 
I would submit to you that the movement sweeping America, and not just America, even Europe, is about setting people against each other, fomenting unrest, and attempting to crush America's system of local policing while moving toward nationalized and even globalized police and centralized government. And that's why constantly you're hearing these cries for defunding the police and structural change in how our police operate. And I suggest in our concluding remarks today that we support our local police and resist all federalization of our police forces. So who are some of the groups fomenting the riots? Who, who is behind this left Marxist desire for revolution? Well, the most prominent organizations are Black Lives Matter and Antifa. Let's talk about Black Lives Matter first, and let's talk about their origin and where they came from. At the center of the unrest and the protests that sweep, swept through literally hundreds of U.S. cities is the Black Lives Matter organization. The group which officially organized many of the protests that spiraled into chaos was founded in part to glorify a convicted cop killer whose name was Asata Shakur, whose real name was Joanne Chesimard. She was one of the FBI's most wanted terrorists. After robbing banks to fund, quote, the revolution, Chesimard and her comrades murdered a New Jersey state trooper named Werner Forrester in a shootout. She was arrested, she was put in jail, and then the Weather Underground terrorist group helped her to break out of jail, and from there she fled, who knows where, to communist Cuba, where Fidel Castro gave her asylum. If one goes to the Black Lives Matter websites, all of their events and their social media sites, the murderous terrorist Asata Shakur is celebrated as a hero and an inspiration. In an article explaining why she created the Black Lives Matter movement, the co-founder and self-proclaimed queer feminist Alicia Garza cited Shakur. When I use Asata's powerful demand in my organizing work, I always begin by sharing where it comes from, sharing about Asata's significance to the black liberation movement, Garza said in a piece speaking of the lineage from which the efforts are derived. The group has gone on record praising the late mass-murdering communist dictator Fidel Castro. When he died in 2016, BLM said it felt an overwhelming sense of loss over the man they lovingly referred to as El Comandante. It is the lessons that we take from Fidel, the BLM Global Network wrote, From Fidel, we know that revolution is sparked by an idea, by radical imaginings, which sometimes take root first among just a few dozen people coming together in the mountains. As a black network committed to transformation, we are particularly grateful to Fidel 
for holding Mama Asata Shakur, who continues to aspire us. Now, the next thing I want us to understand is one of the other organizations that inspires and instructs the Black Lives Matter organization. And that organization is the Nelson Mandela Foundation, which encourages Black Lives Matter to use violence as a means to fundamentally restructure our society. There's that word again, restructure. As we have seen in South Africa during the democratic era, violent protest is often the result of a careful calculation by communities who have come to see that only such action elicits the desired response from the state. The Nelson Mandela Foundation wrote in a memo to BLM recommending violence. The use of violence can be rational and carefully targeted as part of a strategy to counter structural and other forms of violence against black lives. And of course, it ought always to be so. Mandela's wife, Winnie, was also a firm believer in those ideas, being caught on tape promoting necklacing which is placing a gasoline-filled tire around a person's neck and setting it on fire to liberate South Africa. Now, a book was written by Harry Buyens entitled Ama Buhulu, The Birth and Death of the Second America, which described what happened in South Africa during the apartheid era. And in that book, he says that the parallels between current events in America and what happened in South Africa are clear. He states, My standard statement to Americans bears repeating. Between $1,000 and $1,500 will get you an airline ticket to South Africa to see your future. Though the major media is largely ignoring South Africa's tragic plight, the country is collapsing into an orgy of violence, rape, torture, murder, racial killings, economic collapse, plummeting life expectancy, unfathomably savage farm murders, confiscation of private property without compensation, endemic corruption, and full-blown communism. And yet the tactics and deception that brought it all about in the 1980s and 1990s are remarkably similar to those now being witnessed in America Buyens said, South Africa was once upon a time a peaceful and prosperous nation, but because of the agitation of the Nelson Mandela Foundation and others like them, it is now a violent and corrupt country which is falling apart within. The next organization that is sponsoring the unrest in America is Antifa. The Antifa organization is sponsoring the Autonomous Zone in Seattle. Their ideology is clear. All across America, Antifa cells openly display communist flags and symbols, including banners with images of mass-murdering dictators such as Mao Zedong and Vladimir Lenin. Leading Antifa figures have also made the group's agenda clear. City University of New York law professor Mike Isaacson, a self-proclaimed Antifa leader, put it like this, 
anti-communism is code for fascism. In other words, he's calling me a fascist because I'm an anti-communist. In short, Antifa's view, in Antifa's view, opposition to a totalitarian form, totalitarian form of government responsible for hundreds of millions of deaths over the last century is tantamount to supporting fascism, an ideology that ironically is not all that different from communism in terms of destroying individual liberty and empowering government. Isaacson also regularly encourages violence against police. Off the pigs, he recommended in August 29, 2017. In a Twitter message posted by Seattle's Antifa chapter, the group said, we need more people with guns at the CHAZ, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Now, another group besides BLM and Antifa is the, the, social, the Democratic Socialist of America, which is also working to organize Floyd protest and to train protesters. On May 28th, the Twin Cities Democratic Socialist of America tweeted that it was so proud of all the Minnesotans fighting back against the police. And then on June 1st, the National DSA Facebook account chimed in, defund the police. The group claims to have 60,000 mostly young activists nationwide ready for revolution. Their goal, as the name implies, is socialism. That means overturning the U.S. Constitution and the principles America was founded upon. Another organization is the Sunrise Movement. Long before Floyd was killed, the Sunrise Movement, which boasts on social media that it is building an army of young people, had been plotting riots and even a plan to defund the police. There's a young lady named Millennial Millie. Her name is Millie Weaver, is an undercover reporter who revealed a determination by the Sunrise Movement to use violence to achieve radical goals. One of their organizers is a lady named Sarah Abbott who said, these escalations, these actions can be really, really dangerous. She sports a half-shaved head and a nose ring. And in one of her videos obtained by Weaver, she said, Uprisings, including actions like burning buildings, are legitimate and powerful forms of resistance. So I think you have mentioned this earlier, but I'm going to ask it again, or say it again. Where does the funding for these organizations come from? Well, it's interesting, Miss Carlotta, because despite the riot leader's blatant affinity for, to for totalitarians and communists, their groups have been showered in money by some of the world's leading capitalists, which is such an odd thing. Billionaire George Soros and other globalist li elites like him have long been financing movements designed to apply the crucial pressure from the streets, especially Black Lives Matter. In 2016, for instance, 
documents obtained by a hacker revealed that Soros Open Society Foundations had been pouring money into the group Black Lives Matter. The document touted what was called an inside strategy, which involves lobbying and pressure from above combined with what was called an outside strategy involving funding for, quote, phony grassroots movements such as BLM. Not only that, there was a stated goal to exploit the unrest, to accelerate the dismantling of structural inequality generated and maintained by local law enforcement, and to create a national movement. And this was from a 2015 report from Soros' Open Society's U.S. Programs Board. To that end, Soros provided $650,000 to invest in technical assistance and support for the groups at the core of the burgeoning Black Lives Matter movement. So, you've talked about tens of thousands of young people on the streets being recruited by these organizations, but is it just coming from them? No, there are other organizations around the world um, that are being involved. In fact, the media, for example, on CNN, commentators openly defended the violent revolutionists and their tactics. Chris Cuomo on CNN said, too many see the protest as the problem. The problem is what forced young fellow citizens to take the streets, persistent and poisonous inequities and injustice. And please show me where it says protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. That was Chris Cuomo on CNN. So we see that this is not just coming from the streets, but it's also coming from the top. So what is the solution? Well, let me quote us from a a, a prominent black pastor named Bishop Jackson. And his statement is this, No people of African heritage anywhere on earth are more free or better off than we who are blessed to be Americans. America is still the last best hope for all of us, regardless of race. It is time to come together across all racial and cultural lines to renew the American vision of one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. It is within our grasp, Bishop Jackson said, if we do not allow the radical elements among us to destroy it forever. There are those who would like to push us over the cliff into chaos. They think they will be there to pick up the pieces and create a socialist utopia. But history proves it will be a totalitarian nightmare. Furthermore, I suggest that we should educate our children and grandchildren on our American values and our American history and tradition. Teach them about the sacrifices made by our founding fathers. More than that, we should contrast our American way of life with the other less free countries around the world. Constantly work with our local police to support them and to resist the federalization of our local police. And more than that, we need to pray. Pray for revival in our nation. And I think that's all we have time for today. 
Thank you, Miss Carlotta, and thank you to our listening audience. And I would like to thank uh, Alex Newman, who provided much of the information for this article. He's a writer for The New American. Thank you for listening to today's edition of More Than Medicine. You can follow Jackson Family Ministry on Facebook, Instagram, and on their website. Be sure to contact them via jacksonfamilyministry at gmail.com for speaking engagements and for book information. Join us next time for More Than Medicine.